You knew damn well I was a snake before you took me in. Open your eyes, look up to the skies and see. Democracy is precious. Democracy is fragile. At this hour, my friends, democracy has prevailed. Yes. Yes, it has. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right Here I am, stuck in the middle with you Yep, Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is The Bradcast As heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon, on the Central Coast, on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis's and St. Paul's uh, AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for you, even on inaugurations. On the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. You know, a few days before the November 2020 election on this show, I noted that, yes, uh, we could save ourselves in that election, but I was less confident that we definitely would. In other words, I think I said at the time, Desi Doyen, yes, we can, (laughs) but will we? Yes, you did. Yes, I did. Well, guess what? Yes, we did. Welcome to the Bradcast Inauguration Special, as a new day has now begun. The nation's greatest sore loser ever, former President Donald Trump, left Washington, D.C. early on Wednesday morning for what might be the last time, at least until he's forced to show up for an arraignment in the not-too-distant future if the gods of the rule of law are with us. Shortly after that, in a socially distanced but extraordinarily moving, at least for me, uh, inauguration ceremony at the U.S. Capitol, I I confess I teared up a couple of times, Des. Yeah, it was quite moving, I must say. Uh, Although it was, you know, 530 uh, in the morning out here in L.A. (laughs) Maybe I was just tired. Anyway... uh, the uh, it was I thought it was rather moving, in fact, at the U.S. Capitol and on the very platform 
where Donald Trump's MAGA mob had attempted an insurrection just two weeks earlier to the day. On that platform, the nation's first female black South Asian vice president, Kamala Harris, and now our 46th president, Joe Biden, were officially sworn into office at the end of a nightmarish four years that we can only hope become an aberration of history. Yes, we made it as a nation, both together and apart. And if that doesn't brighten up your day enough today, Democrats also officially took majority of the U.S. Senate on Wednesday as well, relegating Mitch McConnell to minority leader status and giving Dems control of the White House, the Senate and the House of Representatives. What they will do with it? Well, that's what we'll find out in the days ahead. In his short, crisp inaugural address on Wednesday, President Biden declared that democracy has prevailed. He called for unity and pointedly noted, quote, we must end this uncivil war. He went on to observe that, quote, recent weeks and months have taught us a painful lesson. There is truth and there are lies, he said, lies told for power and for profit. And each of us has a duty and responsibility as citizens, as Americans, and especially as leaders, he said, who have pledged to honor our Constitution and protect our nation to defend the truth and defeat the lies. The day continued with much heavily secured pomp and solemn circumstance amid a still raging pandemic that has cost the lives of more than 400,000 Americans over the past year and an unprecedented threat to national security incited by the now former president. We will share as much of President Biden's speech, if you missed it, or even if you didn't, I think it's worth uh, listening again, along with some other sounds from his inaugural, as we, uh, as we can in a moment, after a bit of Donald Trump cleanup on aisle 45, <laughs> following the disgraced former reality TV star's merciful exit from D.C. just after dawn, out of the people's house and back down to Mar-a-Lago in Florida, where he may not be welcome for long either, by the way. The final day in office for the nation's worst president ever, by far, was as sleazy and swampy as all of the others. Just after midnight on Wednesday morning, the White House issued a raft of some 143 pardons. Actually, there was one more, I think. It was 144 for the convicted uh, fraudster husband of Fox News TV host and wingnut Janine Pyro, Pyro, I still don't know how to say her name. Nor do you care to learn. Correct. He was added to the list uh, in what may have been Donald Trump's final and ironically perfect official act to end his failed presidency, pardoning another fraudster. But the, uh, the news of the first pardon to leak out on his final day in office went to another friend of his and another indicted fraudster. That would be Steve Bannon, the second of his 2016 campaign managers, after Paul Manafort, who Trump pardoned as well about a week or so ago, He's the second to be indicted on felony charges. Bannon was charged last year with defrauding donors to a private fundraising effort for construction of a wall on the U.S.-Mexico border after telling donors that all the money for the We Build the Wall campaign project would, in fact, go towards 
building that wall. Instead, Bannon allegedly pocketed at least a million dollars for himself through a supposed nonprofit group that he ran and gave nearly as much to the conman Air Force veteran Brian Colfage, who headed up the project. We noted on yesterday's show, after the Washington Post reported that a pardon for Bannon was believed to be unlikely... You'll recall that we noted we were highly dubious about that. It looks like we were correct to be skeptical on that uh, Washington Post reporting, at least on that point. Some Trump White House aides, according to the Post today, said as recently as Monday night that the move, coming after days of what they describe as frantic deliberations, appeared unlikely to pardon Bannon. Trump vacillated throughout the day on Tuesday, even said he was going to sign off on the pardon. But then it remained unclear for some time if he would actually do so. Bannon went on uh, to serve as Trump's chief political strategist in the White House for about seven months after serving as his uh, campaign manager before he was then fired by Trump after being quoted in a book as calling the infamous Trump Tower meeting with Russian agents. Back during the 2016 campaign, he called that treasonous and he was fired as uh, as uh, for his thanks. Uh, Donald Trump said he believed uh, Bannon went crazy at the time, but not crazy enough that he was uh, unwilling to pardon him. Nope, all is forgiven now. Bannon's pardon kicked off just the latest spate of examples of Trump using his presidential pardon power to end the legal woes of his own personal friends and allies. In this case, an ally that ripped off that ripped off Trump's own supporters to raise money to build a section of wall on private land that is now said to be, by the way, in danger of collapsing into the Rio Grande River. Bannon and three others had been charged by federal prosecutors in Manhattan with making fraudulent representations as they solicited donations for the project. Trump, however, did not pardon Colfage and the others charged alongside Bannon, who had uh, pleaded not guilty in the case and uh, Bannon was out on bond awaiting trial. He was hired by Trump for the uh, 2016 campaign after Paul Manafort was forced to leave in his case due to questions about fraudulent work with uh, Russian and Ukrainian oligarchs for which he was eventually convicted uh, before also being pardoned by Trump. Bannon had been the CEO of the right wing propaganda website Breitbart before uh, Trump took him on. Bannon's was just the first, however, of a raft of 11th hour pardons and commutations that were issued after midnight on January 20th, Trump's final half day in office. The list reflects a uh, president keen on uh, giving pardons to his allies, an enormous number of whom have been swept up in corruption or lying charges over the past four years. Other names of sleazy Trump associates who received pardons include Elliot Broidy, a former top fundraiser for the Republican Party and for Trump's campaign. He pleaded guilty to uh, one count of conspiracy relating to a secret lobbying campaign to influence the Trump administration on behalf of a foreign billionaire in exchange for millions of dollars. He also used the services of Trump's former personal lawyer and fixer, Michael Cohn, to help clean up an affair that Brady apparently had. Cohn was also convicted himself of a felony related to Trump's hush money payout to porn star Stormy Daniels. Cohn 
pleaded guilty and cooperated with prosecutors, citing Trump as the ringleader of the campaign finance felony to pay off Stormy Daniels, for which uh, Trump could and now should be charged himself. He directed that campaign that Michael Cohn went to jail for. After all, Cohn did not receive a pardon because he cooperated with prosecutors. Trump also offered clemency to Paul Erickson. He's the Republican operative and uh, ex-boyfriend of alleged Russian spy Maria Butina, who pleaded guilty to wire fraud and money laundering charges. Robin Hayes, a North Carolina political donor convicted of trying to bribe officials. An Israeli uh, Air Force officer who the U.S. has accused of being a spy. Bob Zangrio, the Miami developer and venture capitalist charged in the college admission fraud scandal. Uh, he also received a pardon from Trump. None of the other parents caught up in the probe were pardoned. But of course, they might have made the mistake of not personally knowing Donald Trump. He used his pardon power in an unprecedented fashion to reward political loyalty to reward the wealthy and the well-connected, as well as those who refused to cooperate with special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation. Even Nixon didn't pardon his cronies on the way out of office, said Noah Bookbinder, the director of the uh, government watchdog group Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, or CRU. Uh, in his statement, he said, Amazingly, in his final 24 hours in office, Donald Trump found one more way to fail to live up to the ethical standard of Richard Nixon. Oh, wow. Nicole Ford, 40-year-old uh, uh, woman who hand-wrote her clemency petition in 2016 as she serves a 27-year sentence for nonviolent drug crimes. She wrote in an email to Washington Post from her federal prison in Illinois, quote, they all had something Trump wanted or benefited him in some kind of way. I am not part of the Trump elite. Trump ultimately decided against a series of other controversial pardons he was considering, including one for WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange, ex-NSA contractor Edward Snowden, and uh, and this one is, is shocking, frankly, uh, after all the blood, sweat, and hair dye he gave to try and steal the election for Trump, the uh, president's own personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, did not get a pardon. He has not yet been charged with a crime, uh, but his consulting business has come under scrutiny as part of an investigation by federal prosecutors in Manhattan. I'm quite surprised, actually, uh, that Rudy Giuliani did not get a preemptive pardon. Trump also did not pardon his adult children, which is also somewhat of a surprise, even though he had uh, they had not yet been charged with, it, with anything. But frankly, most shocking of all, and I would have lost a whole lot of money had anybody offered to make a bet on this. <laughs> he did not try to pardon himself, at least that we know of. Some suggest there is such a thing as a secret pardon that we would only learn about once someone is charged with something. But experts suggest that's not really a thing. Uh, I hope to discuss more on that uh, in the coming days as we uh, try to make sense of what has happened here over the past 24 hours and even over the past four years. But I got to say, I'm shocked 
Des, that he didn't at least try to pardon himself, even though that is also constitutionally uh, questionable, to say the least. Well, I thought it might not fit within his psychological profile of never admitting he was wrong in mm. any way whatsoever. So, you know, he had this tension between what his lawyers were telling him, which is, hey, don't do this. It's bad for you. His personal feeling of, oh, my God, I'm in trouble now. I'm going to really get hit with uh, criminal charges. Mm -hmm. And finally saying, no, I never lose. Be I can never admit it. Well, because a pardon is supposed to be uh, a, a recognition of guilt. Right. It's supposed to be. After you uh, recognize that you've done something wrong and after you've served your time, of course, that is decidedly not the way Donald Trump has used his has abused his pardon power as president. The uh, January 6 riots, apparently uh, the ones that led to Trump's second impeachment with a trial upcoming, uh, reportedly complicated his uh, hopes of pardoning himself and his kids and Rudy Giuliani, according to The Washington Post. Uh, after the riot, advisors encouraged Trump to forego a self-pardon because it would appear like he was guilty of something, uh, at least according to one person who spoke to the uh, to the Post. Several of Trump's closest advisors also urged him not to grant clemency uh, to anyone involved in the siege on the U.S. Capitol, despite Trump's initial stance that those involved had done nothing wrong. They thought that that might also uh, open up culpability for the now former president in one more last minute sleazy slimy swampy move as politico reported at 2:30 a.m on wednesday after campaigning on a promise to drain the swamp donald trump ended his presidency by revoking his own rule that was supposed to prevent White House staff from lobbying after leaving office. Shortly after he entered office, Trump had signed an executive order that barred appointees from any lobbying related to the agency for which they worked for five years after leaving that agency. In addition to a lifetime ban on lobbying for a foreign government. Well, uh, every Trump appointee was required to sign a pledge agreeing to those rules. But guess what? In a last minute move early on Wednesday, Trump reversed that his original order and, yes, allowed the revolving door in Washington to continue swinging. Trump signed his original executive order with much fanfare back in 2017. But the reversal of the executive order on his final day in office would appear to give a lot of his staff some relief after appointees have reportedly had difficulty finding jobs in a now Democratic-controlled capital. According to Politico, the White House did not offer any justification at all for the reversal in the executive order released to the public. Meanwhile, with that bad seed out of the picture, for, for now, for the moment anyway, pending his Senate impeachment trial at some point, hopefully soon, Turning the page to the new administration on day one, as we go to air, President Joe Biden, on his first day in office, is signing a whole bunch of executive actions, at least 17. 15 will be executive orders, some of which will reverse decisions made by his predecessor. The actions, according to Axios, are aimed at issues like climate change and immigration. They mark more drastic, immediate steps compared with the two day one actions from Biden's four predecessors combined, according to incoming White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki. 
uh, prior to the inauguration. She uh, said in the coming days and weeks, we will be announcing additional executive actions that confront these challenges and deliver on the president elect's promise to the American people. These uh, efforts are, as Biden works, quote, to address the four crises that he has laid out, COVID-19, the economic crisis, racial injustice and climate change. Further actions would uh, include revoking the ban on military service by transgender Americans, reversing the Mexico City policy. Uh, that's the uh, current U.S. government policy that blocks U.S. federal funding for non for NGOs, non-governmental organizations that provide abortion counseling or referrals or advocate to decriminalize abortion or expand abortion services. But among the executive actions planned for Wednesday that uh, are uh, being signed, a uh, well, the uh, move to rejoin the Paris Climate Agreement. You got to be happy about that one, Desiree. Oh, indeed. Yeah. So I think we'll, I don't know how long it takes to get back in. 30 days. 30 days, but he has signed it and we're on our way back into that. Joe Biden is asking the Department of Education to extend student loan relief during the pandemic. He is signing an executive order to rescind the Keystone XL pipeline permit. Another one I know you're happy about, Des. Oh, yeah. That was a permit granted by the Trump administration, despite many environmental concerns, not to mention the fact that the pipeline's owner, TransCanada, has been having a very hard time finding any customers at all uh, for that pipeline for the dirty tar sands crude which is piped through it uh, with oil prices now at pretty much all-time lows. He will be rejoining the World Health Organization, which Trump tried to drop out of amid the pandemic. President Biden will be asking the CDC to, quote, immediately extend eviction restrictions. He will be reversing Trump's travel ban on several Muslim-majority countries. He will be temporarily halting oil and gas leasing in Arctic in, in Anwar, the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. Uh, he will sign an initiative on advancing racial equity in federal policymaking and overturning Trump's order excluding undocumented immigrants from the census count, a policy which the census director under Trump, who just resigned, by the way, admitted that the Census Bureau was unable to do anyway. Also, uh, as I think it was his first act, he signed a federal mask mandate on federal property. So that is just the start, of course, for this new administration, but it sounds like a good start to me. Moreover, on Wednesday afternoon, Vice President Harris, as president of the U.S. Senate now, uh, has sworn in three new Democratic senators. That would be California Secretary of State Alex Padilla, he will take over the seat that uh, Vice President Harris has vacated to become vice president. And the two newest senators from Georgia, Reverend Raphael Warnock, the first black senator from the Peach State, and 33-year-old John Ossoff, the first Jewish senator from Georgia, they are now officially sworn in. And that leaves the U.S. Senate with a 50-50 Democratic-Republican split right down the middle. But Vice President Harris gives Democrats a majority with her tie-breaking vote, most importantly, unseating Mitch McConnell's control of the upper chamber, as he is expected to be replaced by Democrat Chuck Schumer as the new majority leader, just in time to make sure that whenever Trump has his trial, Republicans will not be able to fix it again 
by blocking witnesses, etc. Of course, uh, before all of this happened on Wednesday, there was much pomp and circumstance, even amid a socially distanced and even more heavily secured than usual inauguration at the U.S. Capitol on Wednesday morning. We'll take a quick break here and we will come back with some of that in case you missed it, including President Biden's full inaugural address, which was quite the welcome contrast from Donald Trump's American carnage speech of four long, memorable, horrible years ago. That's straight ahead on today's much happier broadcast inauguration special. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate and thanks. This land is your land. This land is my land. From California to the New York Islands, from the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters, this land was made for you and me. As I went walking down that ribbon of highway, I saw above me that endless skyway. I saw below me that golden valley. This land was made for you and me. Me. 
was Jennifer Lopez performing at Wednesday's inaugural for Joe Biden. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com here with our inauguration special. Uh, yes, that was at the inaugural for Joe Biden, the uh, now 46th president of the United States. That section in Spanish, by the way, translates to one nation under God with liberty and justice for all. Yep. She threw in some Pledge of Allegiance in there. She in did. Spanish. Uh, infuriating. Infuriating. <laughs> she followed uh, another tough act to follow, by the way, Lady Gaga's killer rendition of the Star Spangled Banner, all of which was followed by the inaugural address of the nation's new president, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., who gave, for my money, and I've never been much of a Joe Biden fan, to be frank, he gave the speech of a lifetime, the tone yes. and uh, temper that I believe was just right for the moment on the platform at the Capitol, the same one that was attacked by right wing extremists just two weeks ago. Uh, to my ears, it was just right at the end of four years of Donald Trump's American carnage. Chief Justice Roberts, Vice President Harris, Speaker Pelosi, Leader Schumer, Leader McConnell, Vice President Pence, my uh, distinguished guests, my fellow Americans. This is America's day. This is democracy's day, a day of history and hope, of renewal and resolve through a crucible for the ages, America has been tested anew, and America has risen to the challenge. Today, we celebrate the triumph not of a candidate, but of a cause, the cause of democracy. The people, the will of the people has been heard, and the will of the people has been heeded. We've learned again that democracy is precious, democracy is fragile, and at this hour, my friends, democracy has prevailed. So now, on this hallowed ground where just a few days ago, violence sought to shake the Capitol's very foundation, we come together as one nation, under God, indivisible, to carry out the peaceful transfer of power as we have for more than two centuries. As we look ahead in our uniquely American way, restless, bold, optimistic, and set our sights on the nation we know we can be and we must be. I thank my predecessors of both parties for their presence here today. I thank them from the bottom of my heart. And I know And I know the resilience of our Constitution and the strength, the strength of our nation, as does President Carter, who I spoke with last night, who cannot be with us today, but whom we salute for his lifetime and service. I've just taken the sacred oath each of those patriots have taken, the oath first sworn by George Washington. But the American story depends not on any one of us, not on some of us, but on all of us. 
on we, the people, who seek a more perfect union. This is a great nation. We are good people. And over the centuries, through storm and strife, in peace and in war, we've come so far. But we still have far to go. We'll press forward with speed and urgency, for we have much to do in this winter of peril and significant possibilities. Much to repair, much to restore, much to heal, much to build, and much to gain. Few people in our nation's history have been more challenged or found a time more challenging or difficult than the time we're in now. Once-in-a-century virus that silently stalks the country has taken as many lives in one year as America lost in all of World War II. Millions of jobs have been lost. Hundreds of thousands of businesses closed. A cry for racial justice, some 400 years in the making, moves us. The dream of justice for all will be deferred no longer. A cry for survival comes from planet itself. A cry that can't be any more desperate or any more clear. And now, a rise of political extremism, white supremacy, domestic terrorism, that we must confront and we will defeat. <laughs> to overcome these challenges, to restore the soul and secure the future of America, requires so much more than words. It requires the most elusive of all things in a democracy, unity, unity. In another January, on New Year's Day in 1863, Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. When he put pen to paper, the president said, and I quote, if my name ever goes down into history, it'll be for this act, and my whole soul is in it. My whole soul is in it. Today, on this January day, my whole soul is in this bringing America together, uniting our people, uniting our nation. And I ask every American to join me in this cause. Uniting to fight the foes we face, anger, resentment and hatred, extremism, lawlessness, violence, disease, joblessness and hopelessness, with unity, we can do great things, important things. We can right wrongs. We can put people to work in good jobs. We can teach our children in safe schools. We can overcome the deadly virus. We can reward, reward work and rebuild the middle class and make health care secure for all. We can deliver racial justice and we can make America once again the leading force for good in the world. I know speaking of unity can sound to some like a foolish fantasy these days. I know the forces that divide us are deep and they are real. But I also know they are not new. Our history has been a constant struggle between the American ideal that we're all are created equal and the harsh 
ugly reality that racism, nativism, fear, demonization have long torn us apart. The battle is perennial, and victory is never assured. Through Civil War, the Great Depression, World War, 9-11, through struggle, sacrifice, and setbacks, our better angels have always prevailed. In each of these moments, enough of us, enough of us have come together to carry all of us forward. And we can do that now. History, faith, and reason show the way, the way of unity. We can see each other not as adversaries, but as neighbors. We can treat each other with dignity and respect. We can join forces stop the shouting and lower the temperature. For without unity, there is no peace, only bitterness and fury. No progress, only exhausting outrage. No nation, only a state of chaos. This is our historic moment of crisis and challenge. And unity is the path forward. And we must meet this moment as the United States of America. If we do that, I guarantee you we will not fail. We have never, ever, ever, ever failed in America. When we've acted together. And so today, at this time, in this place, let's start afresh, all of us. Let's begin to listen to one another again, hear one another, see one another, Show respect to one another. Politics doesn't have to be a raging fire, destroying everything in its path. Every disagreement doesn't have to be a cause for total war. And we must reject the culture in which facts themselves are manipulated and even manufactured. My fellow Americans, we have to be different than this. America has to be better than this. And I believe America is so much better than this. Just look around. Here we stand in the shadow of the Capitol Dome, as was mentioned earlier, completed amid the Civil War, when the Union itself was literally hanging in the balance. Yet we endured. We prevailed. Here we stand, looking out in the Great Mall, where Dr. King spoke of his dream. Here we stand, where 108 years ago, at another inaugural, thousands of protesters tried to block brave women marching for the right to vote. And today, we mark the swearing in of the first woman in American history elected to national office, Vice President Kamala Harris. Don't tell me things can't change. Here we stand across the Potomac from Arlington Cemetery, where heroes who gave the last full measure of devotion rest in eternal peace. And here we stand, just days after a riotous mob thought they could use violence to silence the will of the people, to stop the work of our democracy, to drive us from this sacred ground. It did not happen. It will never happen. Not today, not tomorrow, not ever, not ever.
To all those who supported our campaign, I'm humbled by the faith you've placed in us. To all those who did not support us, let me say this. Hear me out as we move forward. Take a measure of me and my heart. If you still disagree, so be it. That's democracy. That's America. The right to dissent peaceably within the guardrails of our republic is perhaps this nation's greatest strength. Yet hear me clearly. Disagreement must not lead to disunion. And I pledge this to you. I will be a president for all Americans, all Americans. And I promise you, I will fight as hard for those who did not support me as for those who did. Many centuries ago, St. Augustine, a saint in my church, wrote that a people was a multitude defined by the common objects of their love. Defined by the common objects of their love. What are the common objects we as Americans love that define us as Americans? I think we know. Opportunity, security, liberty, dignity, respect, honor, and yes, the truth. Recent weeks and months have taught us a painful lesson. There is truth and there are lies. Lies told for power and for profit. And each of us has a duty and a responsibility as citizens, as Americans, and especially as leaders. Leaders who have pledged to honor our Constitution and protect our nation, to defend the truth and defeat the lies. Look, I understand that many of my fellow Americans view the future with fear and trepidation. I understand they worry about their jobs. I understand, like my dad, they lay in bed staring at, the, at night, staring at the ceiling, wondering, can I keep my health care? Can I pay my mortgage? Thinking about their families, about what comes next. I promise you, I get it. But the answer is not to turn inward, to retreat into competing factions, distrusting those who don't look like you, look like you, or worship the way you do, or don't get their news from the same sources you do. We must end this uncivil war that pits red against blue, rural versus urban, or, or rural versus urban, conservative versus liberal. We can do this if we open our souls instead of hardening our hearts, if we show a little tolerance and humility, and if we're willing to stand in the other person's shoes, as my mom would say, just for a moment, stand in their shoes. Because here's the thing about life. There's no accounting for what fate will deal you. Some days, when you need a hand, there are other days when we're called to lend a hand. That's how it has to be. That's what we do for one another. And if we are this way, our country will be stronger, more prosperous, more ready for the future. And we can still disagree. My fellow Americans, 
In the work ahead of us, we're going to need each other. We need all our strength to, to persevere through this dark winter. We're entering what may be the toughest and deadliest period of the virus. We must set aside politics and finally face this pandemic as one nation. One nation. And I promise you this, as the Bible says, weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. We will get through this together, together. Look, folks, all my colleagues I serve with in the House and the Senate up here, we all understand the world is watching, watching all of us today. So here's my message to those beyond our borders. America has been tested, and we've come out stronger for it. We will repair our alliances and engage with the world once again. Not to meet yesterday's challenges, but today's and tomorrow's challenges. And we'll lead not merely by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. We'll be a strong and trusted partner for peace, progress, and security. Look, you all know we've been th through so much in this nation. And in my first act as president, I'd like to ask you to join me in a moment of silent prayer. Remember all those who we lost in this past year to the pandemic, those 400,000 fellow Americans, moms, dads, husbands, wives, sons, daughters, friends, neighbors, and co-workers. We'll honor them by becoming the people and the nation we know we can and should be. So I ask you, let's say a silent prayer for those who've lost their lives and those left behind and for our country. Amen. Folks, this is a time of testing. We face an attack on our democracy and on truth, a raging virus, growing inequity, the sting of systemic racism, a climate in crisis, America's role in the world. Any one of these would be enough to challenge us in profound ways. But the fact is, we face them all at once, presenting this nation with a one of the gravest responsibilities we've had. Now we're going to be tested. Are we going to step up, all of us? It's time for boldness, for there's so much to do. And this is certain. I promise you, we will be judged, you and I, by how we resolve these cascading crises of our era. We will rise to the occasion, is the question. Will we master? this rare and difficult hour? Will we meet our obligations and pass along a new and better world to our children? I believe we must. I'm sure you do as well. I believe we will. And when we do, we'll write the next great chapter in the history of the United States of America, the American story. A story that might sound something like a song that means a lot to me. It's called American Anthem. There's one verse that stands out, at least for me, and it goes like this.
The work and prayers of Century have brought us to this day. What shall be our legacy? What will our children say? Let me know in my heart when my days are through. America, America, I gave my best to you. Let's add, let's us add our own work and prayers to the unfolding story of our great nation. If we do this, then when our days are through, our children and our children's children will say of us, they gave their best, they did their duty, they healed a broken land. My fellow Americans, I close the day where I began with the sacred oath. Before God and all of you, I give you my word. I will always level with you. I will defend the Constitution. I'll defend our democracy. I'll defend America. And I'll give all, all of you, keep everything you, I do in your service, thinking not of power, but of possibilities, not of personal interest, but the public good. And together, we shall write an American story of hope, not fear, of unity, not division, of light, not darkness. A story of decency and dignity, love and healing, greatness and goodness. May this be the story that guides us, the story that inspires us, and the story that tells ages yet to come that we answered the call of history. We met the moment. Democracy and hope, truth and justice did not die on our watch but thrived that America secured liberty at home and stood once again as a beacon to the world. That is what we owe our forebears, one another and generation to follow. So, with purpose and resolve, we turn to those tasks of our time, sustained by faith, driven by conviction, and devoted to one another and the country we love with all our hearts. May God bless America and may God protect our troops. Thank you, America. That was the nation's 46th president, Joseph R. Biden Jr. at his inaugural address after being sworn in at the U.S. Capitol on Wednesday, calling for unity promising to be a president for all Americans, celebrating the cause of democracy, declaring that it has prevailed, and charging that we must end this uncivil war. Let's take a quick break here, and we will close with Desi Doyen and myself and a few thoughts on an extraordinary day after an extraordinarily hellish four or, in truth, five years. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to our broadcast inauguration special what the public hears on the public airwaves matters at the broadcast we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter and we do it all independently without corporate or political influence but we can't do it without you now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Looks like we made it. Let yes. the
looks like we did. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com with our Bradcast inauguration special. Yeah, we made it, uh, barely, and without nearly half a million of our fellow countrymen who were unable to survive Trump's uh, delinquent, virtually non-existent response to the worst pandemic in 100 years. But, uh, Desi Doyen, uh, we made it. Yes. Your thoughts today? Well, I think it's kind of amazing that President Biden and Vice President Harris are the first national officials to yeah. actually hold a memorial and acknowledge the, 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 the depth of the coronavirus pandemic and how many people it's killed. That yeah. really struck me. Yeah. Um, also, in my opinion, the most important line of, of Biden's speech was mm-hmm. when he said we must end this uncivil war mm-hmm. and pointing directly at the source of it, which is disinformation, the lies that are told for power and profit, as mm-hmm. he put it. And we cannot overlook what I found to be one of the most powerful moments in the entire day was the speech of the youth poet laureate Amanda Gorman. She's yeah. just 22 years old. It was a truly moving poem and yeah. I, I mean she said quote we have seen a force that would shatter our nation rather than share it would destroy our country if it meant delaying democracy the effort nearly succeeded but while democracy can be periodically delayed it can never be permanently defeated watch her performance mm. because it's really moving it was indeed uh, and that was just one of many times like i said earlier yeah. that i sort of you know <laughs> broke into tears <laughs> at various times. Yes, very moving. I was. I have been thinking back to the first year of Trump's presidency as this chaos began. I recall at the time even getting a bit weepy uh, once or twice on the air back then, actually, uh, with concerns for our nation and my fellow countrymen. But I recall promising <clears throat> at the time that we would get through this. As difficult as it might be, uh, but that we would get through it together, not unlike what President Biden said in his inaugural address on Wednesday, that we will get through this together. Now, not all of us made it over the past four years, uh, but we got here where we are now together. We are still here. As promised, uh, here on the broadcast, and uh, yes, brighter days are almost certainly ahead. In fact, a day like Wednesday suggests brighter days are already here. Imperfect, but brighter. There is a lot of work ahead, and our leaders, even the even the new ones, are anything but perfect. But that's where we, the people, come in to try and hold them accountable and push them to do the right thing. We will see how much of a honeymoon Joe Biden gets in his job, if any. Given the carnage and multiple crises left behind by the last administration, frankly, I think he deserves uh, a fair amount of space for a while. Sure. Though it will not keep us from calling him out as needed in the (laughs) days ahead. True. On on a, a personal note, You know, thinking back to uh, 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 Biden's remarks during his speech that each of us has a duty and responsibility as citizens, as Americans, to defend the truth and defeat the lies. Uh, Well, I take that one pretty seriously, and I think that's why we are still here. When the uh, when the broadcast went from a weekly program, uh, as we had been for years, to a daily show back in 2015, Brilliantly timed just one month before Donald Trump (laughs) descended the escalator at Trump Tower to declare his presidency and come this close to destroying the nation thereafter. 
Well, our plan at the time was to stay on the air as a daily program, at least until after the 2016 election. As I've noted before, uh, given the surprise ending to that election, we thought it wise to keep going until at least, uh, well, 2020's election, if possible, even without a roadmap or any kind of real funding to do it. You made it possible for us to make it this far through your support and your donations at bradblog.com slash donate at least mostly, uh, you you have helped us get this far. Where we go from here, that is still up in the air. So uh, Desi and I continue to thank those of you who have helped us keep going, even as we continue to try to figure it all out and to figure out what is possible in the days ahead. But we have made it over this hump, all of us together. And uh, yes, we certainly would not be here without all of you. There is, uh, as I said, much work ahead no matter what we do. But I just wanted to thank those of you who have traveled down this long road along with us for the last four or five years. Your uh, generosity and kindness is our blessing. And I, I thank you. Uh, as well for many of the kind notes that we have received for some reason, particularly of late, uh, to bradcast at bradblog.com. In any event, uh, it's a good day, and we will be back tomorrow with another edition of the Bradcast. Until then, of course, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, and to all of you for spending any portion of your day or night with us. It is always a privilege and an honor. Drop me email, as I said, bradcast at bradblog.com, and you will find me, but not Donald Trump, on the Twitters and the Facebook. I am the Brad Blog in both places. Trump is banned on both. You're welcome. We will see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Looks like we made it.